chapter 133. So I am grateful that we are uh, coming to the end of the Psalms of Ascent. And this psalm was actually a psalm of David as well, so it was written by him. And officially though, before we, before we pray this prayer, officially, grace and mercy does actually have a statement of belief. I don't know if all of you guys know this or know what it is, and I'm going to read it to us here in, in a moment. But um, I don't talk about it all the time. It's not something that, um, you know, comes up when you first come to our church. We hand you our statement of belief. We just, um, we do this out of, out of unity. And um, the statement is a twofold statement of belief. One is the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> and the other one is the Nicene Creed. And Romans, Romans, um, 12, uh, 18, it, it asks that as far as it depends on us, that we can live peaceably with all. And so what the reason why we have uh, this simple statement of belief and why it's not 15 pages long and why it's not super duper nuanced is because if you believe, if you can believe in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, then I believe that you believe in Jesus. I believe it's my job is to teach what's in accordance with sound doctrine. I think that um, you can look at these two creeds and then and then all the other stuff that's not in these creeds you can talk about, you can discuss, you can disagree on, and yet you can still have your life centered on Christ. And so before we read this prayer, I'd like to uh, just read the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. The Apostles' Creed is this. I believe in God, the Almighty, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, and he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence shall he come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And then the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all, all worlds, God, God of gods, light of lights, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one of substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us meant who for us men for our salvation came down from heaven and incarn and was incarnated by the holy spirit of the virgin mary and was made man and was crucified also under pontius pilate he suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again in accordance to the scriptures he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the father and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father 
And the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin and look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And this, these two statements, uh, the reason why we have them is just so that we can be unified with a broad range of Christians. Um, and when the time of Israel, uh, it, it came at a time, uh, this prayer that we're about to pray, actually, that Psalm 133, it came at a time when all of Israel would have gathered together to worship the Lord. And they would have seen... Um, they would have seen people that they hadn't seen in a while. They would have seen people from different regions. And there would be excitement in the gathering of these people. But there would also be the drama of differences. There would be regionalism. There would be different things where different tribes would be coming together. And so you, they would argue what tribes are better. And you would see, uh, and, and you guys know, that there are cousins that you love and cousins who drive you crazy, right? As far as any relative that you have, there are relatives that you really get along with and that you're always excited to see. And then there are other relatives that you're like, well, I mean, if uncle's at the table, at least Jesus loves them, you know? I don't, I don't know what to do about them. And so this is a prayer. This Psalm 133 is a prayer for unity that we are unified under one God. And it's a time to set aside all our differences and allow um, the, the God, Yahweh, to speak into our lives. And so let me pray this over us and then we'll get into it a little bit. Psalm 1, oh, I forgot to change that. But Psalm 133, a song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayed in our context, this is a very simple prayer. It prays for the unity amongst Christians everywhere. Those who uh, could agree with the statements that I that I read above, and then and then even if they don't use them, we, I know some Christians who they just swear off all creeds, and so Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, they say I can agree with those statements, but I would never use them as creeds. Um, and and um, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but there is an estimated. 20,000 different denominations that are Christian. And I would say the majority of them could agree with statements, even if they can't agree with the statement that was made. And there, that means that there is 20,000 different ways to worship and live for Jesus. And I, you know, it's interesting because I don't know how many I would agree with, and I don't know how many would agree with me on all, but we can all be unified under Christ. Um, Unfortunately, Christians have not been known for their love for one another, as the Bible teaches us. We've um, oftentimes people know us for our infighting and our factions, where it's like, how come you guys can't all agree? How come there's a religious right and a religious left? And why, if you guys worship the same guy, can't you get along? And um, uh, 
in, in, but yet once we come to faith in Jesus, we are taught, we are taught as Christians that grace is enough to cover our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of others, and that we are adopted into a new family that is under God, our good father. It's a brand new family. Excuse me. And that makes us a part of this new family, and it's bought with the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But with over 20,000 different ways to interpret this, oftentimes it's hard to have unity. And yet, that is what this prayer of Psalm 133 prays for, as if it knew we would live like we live. And our, our faith is... I think wider and broader than we can we can imagine. Within the Christian tradition, there are different theologies, different customs, different rituals and practices, different emphasis that different uh, denominations put, and yet there is one Christ and there is one Father above us all. We all have, um, I would say, all the different denominations and even us individually. We all have different blind spots, and we all give in to different sins uh, easier than other sins, sins that maybe entangle us that might not entangle someone else. And yet, we are all striving to be holy as Christ is holy. But in all of this, we all fall short. And we we don't all fall fall short in the same way, however. Uh, we get to ask ourselves in this, um, how am I going to live with other Christians? Just as Romans 12.18 says that as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. And so how are we going to live with and love other Christians? And this should be both encouraging to us and convicting. Um, there are those that we just disagree with for whatever reason. There are those Christians um, uh, that you know that uh, we can read the Bible, we can read it even in the same language, the same text, and yet we don't understand how they can get um, maybe that belief out of that same out of that same text and out of that same way. There, uh, um, there are also those Christians that we can love, that we find very, very pleasant. Like, they're, I am not Anglican, but I love Am- Anglican writers. I'm not Presbyterian, but I love some Presbyterian writers. I'm not um, Baptist, but I love some Baptist writers. Um, I'm not uh, Methodist, but I love some Methodist writers as well. And Episcopalian, Anglican, you can go down the line. I, I have... I have some affinity for some of these groups. Um, and then we can also see, though, that there are in Christianity, and in Christianity today, we can see that there are humble Christians. And then we can see that there are some Christians that are just plain arrogant, as if they're the only ones that can own the truth. And there are those that, uh, those Christians that make us miserable. Um, to be called Christian. And then there are, are those that are, well, they don't make us miserable. They're just simply annoying. And um, there are those who have very strong opinions, like this is the way it is, period, all the time. And then there are also um, those who have weak convictions that are just kind of like, well, I don't know. 
um, all, all the time as well. So how is it that we are all to get along? There are so many of us. There's such a wide array. How is it that we can be unified? And the answer is through the grace of Jesus. Through the grace of Jesus, as we practice the grace of Jesus, as we pray for the grace of Jesus, we can strive to be unified. And so we need to look at this honestly, that the truth is that some blind spots that are in other people are easy for us to detect. Yet, at the same time, we have blind spots that others can look at and they can easily spot. <clears throat> and um, there are just things that in each of us, as we strive to live for Christ, that we just simply miss. And it doesn't, uh, living for Jesus doesn't actually matter how right you are or how wrong other Christians are. We are all under the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We are all unified, not only at his cross, but in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And if this is true, then we, and we as grace and mercy, and we as individuals, we get to be less, or, or, I mean, we get to be right, right in all that we say and do less often. So we get to live in humility and, and live in that way. Um, it, this, this idea came to me originally when we started Grace and Mercy. Before we even started it, we were doing a Bible study through the book of Titus. And if you guys think the Psalms is long, it was 17 weeks through the book of Titus. And Titus is a really short book, so that was a long time. But when we came to the verse, the first verse in chapter 2, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And I had to ask myself, what is sound doctrine? I have friends that believe different things, and yet they're Christians. And things that I think even would maybe go against certain parts of scriptures scripture and yet at the same time they love Jesus and you can tell that the Holy Spirit's alive in them that they're Christians and so as I saw this I was asking what is sound doctrine what sound doctrines am I supposed to teach what do sound doctrines am I to avoid because I just like there's just a mystery in all of them and as I've asked these questions I've been challenged, um, I was kind of challenged to see basically who was Christian and who was not. Like, where is this line? And I learned, and the Holy Spirit ministered to me, that first of all, I'm not the one that draws the line between who is Christian and who is not Christian. And that, to be honest, is if you look at the historic, historic scope of Christianity and what has been believed and what hasn't, um, and what has been allowed in different times, um, I needed to allow for a bigger scope on who was covered by God's grace and who is not. And I would think that this would be an encourages for, for us all. So I'll give an example. In my old way of thinking, I would not have counted Roman Catholics as Christian. I just wouldn't. In fact, I remember getting into... Um, I remember getting into arguments with guys at the gospel mission that Catholics are Christian or not, if they were saved by grace or not. And um, 
I, I, I made some enemies at, at the gospel mission because of that. And yet we met a few years later after I'd pondered this question. And we actually, I repented them and said, look, I believe now I have a broader definition of what Christians are. And I would count um, certain Roman Catholics as Christians and, and that, that you can even read some of the writings of the Pope and just agree with them and say, amen. And there is much about the way that they practice their faith that I don't understand. There is much that I like, and there is much that I just honestly don't like or enjoy, and that's okay. Because as my views on the Roman Catholics have softened, I can appreciate the good and set aside what is bad or what I don't understand. And as I firmly believe that they are followers of Christ, they're both trying to teach what is in accordance to sound doctrine as they see it, and they're trying to live that out. And I know there would be Christians who would strongly disagree with me on my views of Roman Catholicism, and and I'm okay with that. And there's probably some Roman Catholics that would disagree that we Protestants and um, uh, Roman Catholics are one. However, I firmly believe that in humility... We just need to look and see that, yes, there are differences, but we can come together, we can glean from one another, we can learn from each other, and we can just be unified under the banner of Jesus and his, um, his uh, life, death, burial, and resurrection. I'll say this, this is what was convicting when I read Titus, that sound doctrine is not just sound as I see it. It's not just sound as it's seen through my, my views on scripture, my views on salvation, my views on hell, my views on spiritual gifts, and what is permissible in this Christian faith. As I look at those things, according to just what I believe and my convictions, I can see other Christian traditions that just believe differently, and I can't see it all. I can't know it. I can, but in humility, I can know that my views, as well-meaning as they are, and as like as um, as like, I like to fancy myself astute theologically. But I just know that I'm wrong on some things, and we get to admit that. And in admitting that, I can I can see how others might be right and live in that humility. Because at the end of the day, all we want to do is follow Jesus and strive for the unity that is found in him. In the end, we'll find out that we are right about certain things and we'll find out that we are wrong about others. Um, And we can find out that in some ways we are full of wisdom, in some ways we just lack visibility to see it. And so in that, it doesn't matter if we're right or not, because we, in humility, I believe, even as this prayer is a prayer for humility, I believe it's asking us that we can glean and dismiss some things from just about everyone. What what I mean is that we can learn from different people. There have been some people that five years, six, seven, maybe seven years ago, I wouldn't have ever read or learned from that now I take and I've gleaned from and really actually grown in my faith because of. And yet at the same time, I can learn from the good things that they do. And I can also in discernment learn from the things that I just disagree with and the way that Christ would try and shape me. 
I'm going to take um, hyper-charismatics, for example. I've been to a number of hyper-charismatic churches, and um, these are people who, uh, this is stuff I've seen with my eyes, and so this is a broad generalization, and I don't mean hyper-charismatic as a swear word against people who are not exactly like me, but I've seen people who um, the minute you walk into their building, they're yelling in tongues and they're waving flags and they, they don't really preach that much. They spend all their time prophesying over one another and and going over um, and praying over one another and praying for the nations. Um, there's much that I quite honestly don't understand and don't really enjoy about this movement. However, I will say this in humility there is much that I have learned from them. There is a much that I've learned from them. Their expectation that the Holy Spirit is alive and speaks and that we can hear from the Holy Spirit, that is amazing. And that, that we can do that, that we can um, not only read the scriptures, but we can hear God speaking to us, that he is alive and his words have meaning, that we can expect the Holy Spirit to move in our midst, even if he doesn't move in the same way. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong or that we're right, but we can have that expectation that the Holy Spirit can come, that the Holy Spirit can move in and through us. I remember uh, being at a charismatic church one time that they said, I would never manuscript a sermon because the Holy Spirit can't live and work through a manuscripted sermon. And yet, I think we have witnessed at Grace and Mercy, I manuscript my sermons every week, we've seen the Holy Spirit move through these things over and over and over and over again. And it's not to say that there is no wrong way to worship Jesus. I don't, I don't, uh, I do think that there are wrong ways to worship Jesus. However, I would simply suggest that we get to be humble in the way that we approach life. And, um, uh, and we too, even at the uh, purest of churches, Grace and Mercy Church, have invented, possibly invented some ways that might not be honoring to God. And we just need to um, be willing to, uh, if we see them, we repent and we move away from them. And we need to be humble in these things. And if we want to be moved by Christ and into unity, then we get to be humble in all that we say and do. We need to be willing to be wrong, yet hold on to the truth in the way that God's asked us to live it uh, firmly. And so we get to be hum humble. And to be humble is to think higher of others than we do ourselves. And, and ultimately, it's thinking of Jesus higher than all of us and as we just follow him. We can have opinions, but we need to let others have theirs as well. Amen? Like, if, if we could be a little less rigid, a little dog, less dogmatic about every single one of our beliefs, then this would serve to unify the people who believe in Jesus. We get to, even though it's hard, we get to see those who claim Jesus have the same anointing of grace that we do. We are all under the cross of Christ. Amen. We are all purchased by the same blood and through the same cross that Jesus died on for us. Jesus lived a life for us as he lived a life for those that we disagree with as well. And Jesus died for them as he died for us 
and he rose again for us as he rose again for them. And so those under grace are under the one who gives it. He loves us all. And there are things that all of us do that would not be the most pleasing to God our Father, and yet he still loves us enough to send us Jesus and give us his grace. There is a tremendous blessing in unity. I can speak personally that I've been extremely enriched and blessed in my Christian life the further I got the further I get from theological snobbery and where I'm only going to read and study these people and the closer um, or the more I've gotten into a broad way of, of Christian beliefs and, and unity, I, I would say the more I've done that, the more I've been blessed and enriched in my, in my Christian walk. And I have a long way to go, but those who I've interacted with has been far broader than I would have been comfortable with when I first became a pastor. And yet my life, even through these people, has been nothing but enriched the entire time. And I love here that even here in verse in verse 2, um, this is not talking about the beard of Aaron Burke. It's actually talking, although there is wisdom, and I'm sure if the oil dripped off of him onto us, we would be certainly blessed. But uh, as oil is mentioned in this prayer, oil is an extravagant blessing. It would have been a sign of like refreshment and richness poured out on us. And all of this takes place in unity. Learning from all, even though we don't always agree, we actually need one another more than we might imagine. If we are... um. If we're not ignorant to the fact, if we're not ignorant to this fact, uh, and and I would say this that this isn't easy for us. Jesus purchased his unity, unity for his people through his blood. Jesus died so that we might live, and in a sense, this is an example to us too that we die to our own selves so that a little more abundance might come through our lives and in greater unity for those who believe in Jesus. The oil here is the representative of God's Spirit and blessing on us. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into unity. Amen? We cannot do this of our own accord. In a real way, we need the Holy Spirit, like the oil in this psalm. We need, we need the oil to be dripping from our metaphorical beards onto our collars and soaking through to our robes. We need more and more of the Holy Spirit's wisdom and the Holy Spirit's grace and the Holy Spirit's leadership as we try to walk down this road of unity with other Christians. We need to be, in a way, we need to be soaking with the Holy Spirit as we walk out this life. So let us ask for more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit's blessing, that we may, that we may have this blessing on us so that when we walk, we can live in this way. And like, same thing with the dew. The dew on the ground is abundant, and we just need that abundance. For there the Lord commanded uh, commanded the blessing, and this is his blessing, life forevermore. Life in Christ forevermore. And I'm looking forward to uh, heaven where there's no more sin and no more argument, where we can see it all clearly and perfectly, but until then, we get to live in humility. In this, there is a uh, um, as, as we walk this out, 
And if we walk this out with the Holy Spirit, soaked in the Holy Spirit, there's this additional blessing from Yahweh, this life forevermore, life with Him and in His presence, with His saints, the ones that we like and the ones that we don't like, for all eternity, and then there will be perfect unity in Him. And I pray that we, as grace and mercy, might get a jump start on this, that we might start in unity and strive to love those who are different than us and really go forward. As we um, march towards the cross this Easter season, we can strive for unity. So Jesus, Lord, we just ask that unity may dwell amongst your people. Lord, that as far as we're concerned, that we can do our best to be peaceable with those, um, Lord, that we might not agree with, but yet at the same time um, are coming under your banner. And so Jesus, will you just come and speak to us and grant us unity in your name and for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.